Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Well, hello and welcome to episode 110 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela and Michaela Auld Lang Syne. We are in 2023 now, 2022, get out of here. Uh, but what did you do to celebrate? Ball was coming down. What'd you get into? <laughs> uh, I drank a lot of Frejeune. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They they actually, for the first time, I don't think I'd ever seen it before, but they had a they had the pink sparkling Frejeune. And of course, oh, okay. I love the color pink, so I had to get me some of that. Um, and then for Christmas, um, Prejeunette, my... we should we should tell people uh, is a cava from Spain. If you're not, yeah, uh, familiar we should say with that what, if you don't what know what that is. That is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I got these really fun bottles um, of like mimosa makers uh, for Christmas. Mm. Um, somebody gave me that, and they're like they're like juices or and they're all natural and stuff and you add them to glasses of champagne or prosecco or whatever it is bubbles that you have and so um i did some of those um and those were fun and um, i'm gonna post some pictures of those because that is a really easy way to spruce up some bubbles if you want um without having to do anything but open another bottle and pour it in so that's fun yeah what about you what did you drink yeah, so uh, New Year's was uh, pretty low key around here. We've been doing a lot of traveling for uh, Christmas and kind of the lead up into Christmas. So we just kind of hung out. The wife and I listened to some records. Uh, we did not stay up until midnight. So I guess uh, failure there. But one of the successes I had was I made myself a gin and tonic, which featured uh, one of the rest or one of the ingredients from this week, uh, a grapefruit liqueur from uh, Giffords. I uh, had that bottle uh, to make this week's cocktail. I'm like, what else should I do with that? I should put it into a gin and tonic because grapefruit is my jam and gin and tonics are my jam. And what a better way to uh, ring out the new year than with uh, one of the favorite cocktails. So I uh, just put a little splash of that grapefruit liqueur uh, in there into the gin and tonic. And it was really delicious and a perfect uh, kind of lighter uh, drink, you know, way to, you know, kind of ring in the new year. You're snacking all day on, uh, you know, meats and cheeses and and all yeah. the all the accoutrement you put out, you know, for uh, for New Year's Eve and uh, those kinds of things. So that was a perfect little cocktail to to ring out the new year and then to ring in the new year. What a better way to start than by watching one of the greatest films of all time. And that's what we're going to be doing this week, Michaela, in Shawshank Redemption. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break? We will be right back to, uh, you know, to take that grapefruit liqueur, put it into something pretty amazing. So we're going to be take a quick break and we'll be right back. There is something, Brian, about the word pampalmousse that is just <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know why. It is probably my favorite French word. And for anybody that doesn't know, pamplemousse is actually grapefruit. Uh, so this yep. this uh, cocktail comes to us uh, and pays and uses a lot of different types of grapefruit, uh, grapefruit in many forms, rather. Um, it and it pays homage to our main character, Andy Dufresne, in this epic prison escape that we have uh, where he escapes to uh, Mexico. And... Um, yeah, this this was a very interesting uh, cocktail to make. Um, I, I'm going to let you explain this grapefruit liqueur business because uh, that I feel I, I don't think I'd ever used that before. Yeah, no, that was a new ingredient to me for sure. So uh, this cocktail is called the Coast of Dufresne. Uh, we get it from the Washington Post. Um, and yeah, it pays homage to Andy Dufresne and his uh, escape out of prison and uh, down to the coast of Mexico. I think it it describes it as imagining what Andy would be uh, drinking as he watched the sunrise uh, in Mexico. And uh, yeah, this cocktail is, is perfect for that because I took one sip of it and I said, this is the absolutely most perfect brunch cocktail I've ever had because I am a big fan of grapefruit and grapefruit juice. And that is what this cocktail is capitalizing on. So let's mix one of these up, Michaela. Uh, We're going to put into a shaker tin with some ice. You're going to put in uh, two ounces of grapefruit juice, a half ounce of lime juice, one and a half ounces of white rum, a half ounce of that grapefruit liqueur. Uh, We used Gifford's uh, creme de pamplemousse. A quarter of an ounce of an allspice dram. Uh, we're going to talk about that more here in a second. And a quarter ounce of demerara uh, syrup. If you don't have uh, demerara uh, sugar, you can just use probably just regular uh, 
simple syrup or, you know, any kind of uh, simple syrup that you want to make up there with uh, sugar. So you're going to put that into a strainer with ice, shake it, and then strain it into a, like a tall Collins glass with ice, garnish it with the grapefruit wedge and a mint sprig and sip and enjoy. The, like I said, the, the best brunch cocktail of them all. This was, this was delicious, Michaela. Yeah, this this was uh, we're starting off the year uh, with the bar really high. <laughs> and I just want to say that I had no idea it was going to taste this good. It had a couple ingredients that I didn't really know uh, how we were going to do. I couldn't find grapefruit liqueur. So, Brian, you were very nice to let me have some. Uh, mm -hmm. I also had no idea uh, where I could find allspice dram uh, yep. or. And so we're going to talk about that. So I didn't know if this was going to be any good or not. I thought it was going to be. Um, much more of a kind of a nod to a Paloma um, because of the grapefruit, but mm -hmm. it's so much, it's so much richer tasting than that to me. Yeah. It gets a lot of um, kind of this richness and complexity and um, kind of almost this uh, tiki feel from, from that mm -hmm. allspice uh, dram. So let's, let's tackle that one first. So um, an allspice dram for people that don't know it, it's basically like a, it's, it's a liqueur, um, it's kind of akin to a bitter, but, but basically what it is, is it's, um, all spice berries and it's usually made with some sort of like fortified rum. Uh, so you can make this yourself, um, which I've done, which is what I actually used, or you can buy it, uh, which I've done, which I, I have a bottle of too, because, uh, an allspice dram is an ingredient, one of my favorite cocktails. So I was kind of familiar with it. Um, but basically it's, it's like a bitter in the sense of, of like the world of tiki drinks, um, all spice berries mm -hmm. come from like the Caribbean, uh, yeah. you know, Central America region. So it's, it's big kind of in those cuisines and therefore in the cocktails, so you'll see all spice dram and a lot of uh, tiki recipes. If you're familiar with those, um, like I said, I used it in one of, I use it in one of my favorite, uh, cocktails, which is the flannel, which is something that I make every fall, but, um, yeah, so you can make, you can make your own. Um, there's a lot of really good recipes online. You basically are just taking, uh, like a Navy strength rum, putting some allspice berries in it and a little bit of sugar, um, and then letting that sit for a couple of weeks. And then you can add some water if you want to, you know, dilute out that ABV kind of however you want to do it, or you can, you can buy one. Um, but yeah, it just, it gives it like this little, little bit of kind of, Umptiousness. It's so it's not yeah. just a it's not like a grapefruit bomb coming at you. There's more going I, on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's I don't know. I, I the demerara syrup I've made. Uh, I just made simple syrup with demerara, um, and mm -hmm. I hadn't done that before. Um, it took a little bit longer because the demerara. It while it's it's like freeze dried cane sugar or brown sugar or something. It's it adds like this kind of a silky mouthfeel, I think that would be different if you use just regular simple syrup or just a, like agave. It was more almost like maple-y, which mm -hmm. really helps with the rum. Um, it just, I don't know, that it was really good. And of course, anytime I can say pamplemousse like 16 <laughs> times in a row yeah. uh, is always a good time for me. I, I thought this was really good. It was the sweet, sweet taste of, of freedom uh, and also, <laughs> you know, grapefruit really good free freedom and grapefruit yeah absolutely uh but yeah this this was perfect it was it was a lot more complex than you might imagine just some grapefruit juice and some white rum um yeah. if you can't find the grapefruit uh liqueur um it's kind of it's kind of harder to come by um you could probably use something like a triple sec uh might work in a pinch for you something like that um you know some grand marnier something like that and the allspice dram if you if you can't find that you don't want to be bothered with making it you can probably just put in a few dashes of just some regular angostura bitters um you could put in just a Yep. a splash maybe um or like a teaspoon of like a spiced rum or maybe like a combination of the spiced rum and bitters yeah. to to kind of get you in the in the ballpark it's not gonna be quite the same but you know it's going to be a good approximation maybe before you go out and uh spend some money on procuring yeah. your own all spice dram for sure i mean i've tried it both ways so i tried it with the spiced rum um so i just used i think it's the kraken extra spicy spice rum because <laughs> mm -hmm. i i was like let's make it as spicy as we can and that was fine and then the uh i did see that a good substitution was also the angostura bitters that was okay but it made it really really tart um for me and so i okay. i think that if i were not going to make it myself um, or I was going to kind of do a, a poor man's version of allspice dram. I would just take some spiced rum and add some allspice to it and leave it alone for a little while, or, you know, maybe experiment with the, um, that, the super fast kind of, 
um, mm, yeah. infusion that we do with the whipped cream <laughs> dispenser. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I didn't do that this time, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, if you do, you just, you got to be careful if you're going to use the Angostura bitters and only do like a couple shakes, that's not going to be a quarter ounce. It's going to be less than that. But trust me, if you do a quarter ounce, you might regret it. I know I did. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. It wasn't my favorite. I'll just, it was much better with just the, uh, just the rum. So. Yeah. So give that a try. I'm at home. This was, this was a really great cocktail. I plan on revisiting this one a lot. And like I said, a uh, perfect for a brunch, I think. So uh, give that a try. If you don't want to, uh, you can have three beers after retiring a roof. So Michaela, we have these made. I'm going to mix up another one because this was delicious. Uh, I think you should go grab another one and we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to uh, chat about uh, one of, one of the top films of all time. A lot of people's favorite films and uh, one, of, one of just the world's favorite films, uh, Shawshank Redemption. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to chat about it. Spoiler warning for Shawshank Redemption. If you've not yet seen this film, I'm very sorry for you because you're missing out. So what you need to do right now is press pause and you need to go watch it. And then you need to make a Dufresne cocktail and uh, enjoy that on the beach at the end, because we're going to talk about all the things. Um, yeah, this is a this is a long journey film. I feel like for a short story film, this, it, a lot of things happen for a very short story. <laughs> it's like 125 pages. Um, and we're going to get into all that. But uh, before we close out on the spoiler warning, we are definitely going to talk about all the things. So if you haven't seen it, um, honestly, we're not going to do it justice. I mean, I feel like this is one of those really epically amazing films. We're not going to be able to talk about it uh, in all the ways that we can, because we're only, you know, we're trying to keep this shorter than the actual film. Um, So go watch the film and then come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. So this movie came out in 1994. It was directed by Frank Darabont and it stars Tim Robbins as our incoming prisoner, Andy Dufresne, uh, whose name we uh, use for that cocktail there. Um, and it also stars Morgan Freeman as Ellis Boyd Redding, a.k.a. Red. Uh, he is our friend on the inside and he can get whatever we need to make our time at Shawshank a little bit more tolerable. And as you mentioned, Michaela, this was based on a short story uh, by one Stephen King, uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Um, we had talked about another uh, movie that was a Stephen King short story. Uh, if you remember that, Stand By Me. Absolutely. Um, we made a really fun blueberry martini cocktail uh, for that one. Um, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of both cocktails that we've done for our uh, Stephen King uh, movies that were short stories. It's interesting. Um, Stephen King does amazing work. He writes short stories. He writes, you know, very long thousand page uh, epic novels. Um, but we we haven't covered any of those yet. We've we've done the short stories. And this is uh, also a, an amazing tale. It's got, uh, this was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Um, it mm-hmm. didn't win any of them, which is a real shame. Uh, it was, I think that was one of the biggest shocks for that year. Um, but it was up for best actor morgan freeman was up for best actor it was for best adapted screenplay it was up for best cinematography best sound best film editing best original score and best picture and routinely when i ask folks uh is as i get to know them in kind of an icebreaker what their favorite movie is this film is resoundingly uh number one on people's list Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, number one on a lot of people's list. It's uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more kind of about the legacy piece of this, but I think since like 2008, it's been the highest rated uh, film on IMDb uh, every year for the last uh, 14 years. So um, yeah, it has a, a lot of that going for it, and we'll talk a little bit about um, kind of the reasons why we think that is. You know, after we kind of kind of wrap up, and we're gonna touch back on those uh, seven Academy uh, Award nominations that it got, and uh, kind of what that means, and you know, the, the time and space of, of movies and, and what it meant to some things, but let's talk about the, the film a little bit. Um, we're not going to go through all the beats of this. It's, it's a pretty long movie. It covers, it covers a lot of ground in some ways and in other ways. Um, I feel like it is, it doesn't, it covers kind of this, the small thing, even though it's spanning kind of the lifetime of these, uh, inmates, but let's get into this one a little bit, Michaela. So to get this thing started off, we see our, our, 
our hero of the story, I guess, maybe, kind of, uh, Andy Dufresne. He is in a car. Uh, he is drinking straight from the bottle, a little flask of uh, bourbon. Uh, he's got a gun, and he is sitting outside of a house where we are uh, led to believe that his wife is doing some uh, not so uh, not so good things with her uh, tennis instructor, or golf instructor, <laughs> golf, pro, golf pro, yeah, golf pro. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, when that happens, uh, you know, some some bad things happen, and Andy is sentenced to two life sentences uh, for killing uh, his wife and her lover. Um, yep. And that's that's kind of how the how the story gets set up there. Yeah. And he's pretty honest. Uh, I, I love the way they show this piece because they show him um, in the car. They show him, you know, with a gun, loading it, unloading it, reloading it. Um, they show him getting very drunk. Uh, don't do that. That is where we don't we don't do that here at Drink the Movies. However, what I love about this is that in the story itself, Andy is very honest with the fact that he went outside. Uh, he was outside their house or the, the this golf pro's house. He knew um, he thought that his wife would be inside. He um, he didn't really know what he was going to do, but he wasn't thinking clearly. But he did not kill them. He didn't shoot them. What he did was he decided after he'd sobered up a little bit, you know, uh, he came to his senses and said, you know, this isn't worth, this isn't worth it. So he throws the gun away and goes home. And that's really convenient or inconvenient, depending on how you think about it, because since there was no weapon that he had, um, they were able to pin this totally on him. And it doesn't mm -hmm. look good, right? Because he's he's admitting that he was at the scene. He was admitting he had a gun. He was admitting he he thought maybe he wanted to kill them at one point. So, um, so yeah, he he gets set up for life. And this is in uh, this is in the north uh, east. This is in I think Maine, right? And mm -hmm. um, yep. and so uh, where does he go? I mean, this is this is the uh, late forties. So he's he's going to go to this place called Shawshank. It is a real forbidding looking prison. Everything's made of stone. And I love the opening scene where they're um, kind of showing the grounds. It's very sweeping and um, a very epic kind of uh, almost like a war, uh, like a war scene um, where you have like the battlefield only instead of a battlefield, it's this big kind of fort at the front of the prison and then all the grounds. And we get to, um, it, it slowly kind of focuses in on um, the yard where you we meet our second kind of hero character um, played by Morgan Freeman. And his mm -hmm. name is Red. And he is this guy who uh, in prison, um, he can get you things. So if you need cigarettes or shoelaces or, you know, uh, a book or, you know, anything that you want. There's always, apparently, there's always a guy who can get it for you. And he has spent his entire time in prison learning to be that guy. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, the, that's film, right. the film takes, it's from his perspective, right? So the story is from his point of view. And then the film itself it kind of tells the story from his point of view. So, of course, Morgan Freeman's really beautiful, rich voice is kind of overlaid across some of these scenes that we see um, and stories that he tells. Yeah, that's right. So Red is the man on the inside. He can get you what you need. And yeah, it is kind of told from his perspective, right? He's doing the the narrating of this uh, of the story. Basically, he's telling you who Andy Dufresne is and uh, kind of how their um, friendship and things start to blossom. I really like kind of this opening scene as you see the prisoners coming into the prison and you see the you know the existing prisoners there who are uh, making bets on who they think is going to be the first one to to kind of have like this breakdown and and stuff like that. It's it, you know, it kind of is setting the stage for um, what kind of a place this is. And you mentioned a little bit about kind of the cinematography of the way that this prison looks. And this is an actual prison. Um, it's actually about 30 minutes from where I grew up at the Ohio State Reformatory um, in Mansfield, Ohio. So it is uh, it is right there. So it's a, a real place you can you can go to and uh, check out if you feel so inclined. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like this dauntingly uh, beautiful, large very very fortress uh like you know kind of like this uh european castle almost and they do a lot of kind of low angle shots on it so it looks you know kind of larger than life whereas shawshank is kind of its own character um in this story and you know we get andy he's uh coming into the prison uh they make the bet you know they're they're talking about who's going who's going to break first and we get our first night kind of in prison and then you know pretty hurriedly it kind of speeds up uh through kind of andy's 
you know, sort of initial getting to prison um, and then, you know, kind of moving into his friendship a little bit more with Red. You'll see them start to talk a little bit about, I think, um, you know, Red says something, you know, it was the first time he'd uh, said more than two words to anyone, you know, after he'd been in there a couple of months. And you start to see their, their you know, kind of friendship and their their camaraderie and, and the way that uh, these characters really kind of interact with each other um, in the prison which is one of my favorite kind of aspects of of prison. You know, it, t- it talks a little bit about kind of the the mundanity and kind of the the day in day out, but it's not really a prison story as much um as it is a story about these characters and kind of the the mental sort of bits of dealing with the prison versus, you know, <laughs> dealing with bad guards and other bad inmates and, you know, all, all of this stuff you know, and having terrible food, right? It's not really about that. It's more of, you know, kind of this uh, prison of the mind kind of thing that these characters are having to deal with. Yeah. And also what happens when you spend enough time in this kind of space, right? So um, if you can get uh, to a, a place where you're not getting beat up or, you know, assaulted, um, and you're in a kind of got a, a rhythm, um, you build friendships and relationships with folks, um, inside this prison. And it feels like a prison until over time, um, an excruciating amount of time, it, it sort of feels like home because it's the only thing that you know. And so, you know, throughout this 20 year experience that Andy is in prison, um, we meet a couple of different characters, one of which is um, James Whitmore's character of Brooks Hatlin. Um, Brooks, uh, you don't know why he's there in the movie. Um, everybody's innocent. Also, they don't talk about their crimes much at all, um, which mm-hmm. I find interesting. Um, but uh, Brooks had been in prison for almost 50 years. Um, And so, you know, he's quite an old man played by the amazing James Whitmore. Um, And he kind of runs this library. He runs this library. Um, If that, if that's what we can call it, it's basically a cart with about 25 books on it. And he Mm -hmm. goes around the prison and says, Hey, do you want a book? Do you want a book? And um, he becomes this kind of cornerstone character because uh, halfway through the film, um, he gets paroled after being in this jail for or this prison for 50 years. And what do you do um, when that happens? It seems like a, a great thing, but when you've been in a place for so long and you've given up on hope of ever getting out, you really start to make the best of the situation that you have. And so poor Brooks is terrified of leaving. I mean, he hasn't... Um, he hasn't seen a vehicle. He he doesn't know how to exist out in the world. Um, and he he's leaving all the people that he's come to know and care about. And so it's it's a really interesting look at a lot of things in this in this film. But one of the things that I thought was really um special was the way that they talk about institutionalization of inmates over a period of time and the idea that if you if we put you in a place long enough, you will be quote unquote rehabilitated. Um, Mm -hmm. but then there's a period of time where it's too long, where you might as well, you know, is it, is it a part of the punishment is to let you out after you've been so long inside so that your existence is really defined by this lack of hope and lack of, um, you know, they, what, I mean, Morgan's Freeman character says it best where they say they, they, they're going to, um, they give you a life sentence and that's exactly what it takes. Yeah, exactly. Because it it kind of worms its way into your brain, right? Even even if you take out kind of the 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 horrible aspects of being in prison, it, it's kind of you know just this daunting thing uh, that weighs on your mind. And yeah, the uh, the section with Brooks is uh, really uh, kind of a, a beautiful and tragic encapsulation of of exactly what that means. Is you know you've lived you know the greater bulk of your life in somewhere uh, like Shawshank. And uh, how do we get to know a little bit more about Brooks, right? So um, we have Andy there who's, I don't know, he's very kind of just uh, just floating through this. He doesn't seem to be agitated that he's there. He's just kind of, you know, just meandering through this, which I think is kind of plays back on the on the overall theme of, of this being a redemption story for Andy. But um, they eventually, with the help of Red, get sent out to uh, do some resurfacing on this roof. It's uh, an outdoor assignment. I think it was like like 12 guys or something like like that. But, you know, Red pulls some strings and, and gets Andy and himself and kind of this other kind of core group of um, 
uh, prisoners out to do this work. And, um, you know, Andy, Andy is there and kind of has, has the opportunity and, um, red says a lot of things really well, but right. He says, it's kind of Andy's, uh, you know, kind of chance at, uh, you know, not, not really, you know, making friends with these guys or, or getting beers for himself, but he sees kind of this, uh, opportunity to just have some normalcy, um, and to, to be happy and to make everyone else happy when he overhears a guard talking about some, you know, financial troubles that he might be running into. Uh, Andy was a banker on the outside and kind of knows, uh, the way to, to help out in this instance. And that sort of kind of gets us into the second act of this movie where we're really kind of seeing, um, Andy turn from just being, you know, kind of this, this prisoner, just, you know, kind of, lackadaisically moving through this to being more uh, kind of pressing and what he's able to offer both the guards and the other inmates um, and, and help out a lot, which gets him you know placed into the library there with uh, Brooks. Mm-hmm. And we really kind of see uh, that sort of uh, relationship and, you know, kind of this other, other side of Andy where he's really just trying to, to do good and to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> find some redemption for himself. Yeah. I, I think it it's, it's a really good vehicle for a lot of the things that Andy's character does, because one of the, one of the pieces um, that they, they keep going back to is that Andy, uh, he wasn't the first to break down that first night. He didn't make a, you know, he didn't make any noise at all. He has this kind of encasement around him where even though these horrible things are happening to him, um, you know, he is attacked a lot (laughs) at the beginning of his time there. Um, and he doesn't let it uh, really get to him. And so there's a lot of uh, reinforcement of why that is uh, through the interaction between Brooks and Andy's character and in the library. And so one of the things that Andy decides to do uh, with the permission of uh, the warden is to send out an, a note uh, to the legislator and say, hey, look, we would like some funding for a library. We would really like some funding for a library. (laughs) Please give us some money for this library. And he does it, and it I don't know, it takes like 10 years, but they finally send a bunch of books. And um, during that time, you know, Andy's character is kind of working out of the library and working with the the warden, doing his taxes, um, doing... uh, you know, some of these uh, kind of working with the IRS on behalf of all of the prison guards and um, that, you know, that they continue to kind of use Andy's brilliant banking mind um, for, as, you know, free skilled labor of getting some of the stuff done. But what they also show is that um, there's a lot of corruption in the prison system, and this warden is using um, these kind of loopholes and ways to kind of launder money, uh, th- saying, you know, hey, if you give us a certain amount of money, we will take uh, this skilled labor force that we have at our fingertips as uh, prisoners, and we'll go and build a bridge for you, or we'll go do this and that. And what they end up doing is um, basically taking that money and and funneling it into different people's accounts. And because Andy's so smart, um, he doesn't really judge the characters, um, but he, you know, and he keeps his head down and he doesn't engage with them too much, but he he does, uh, it does come to a head when Andy sees that he might uh, be able to get out after something like 17 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, another gentleman uh, played by Gil Bellows, um, his, his name's Tommy Williams. He is a brand new young, young kid. He comes in uh, to the prison system. He's been there for a really long time in and out of prisons. And so he uh, gets to meet Red and he meets kind of that, that core group of folks. And he mentions that, hey, you know, he ran into a guy who actually said that he killed um, this golf pro and his lover and it wasn't Andy at all and this is the first time because they don't talk about the crimes this is the first time the whole team this whole group of people is seeing that you know Andy really might be innocent I mean it's a joke that they all say hey we're all innocent here but he really might be and you know because of his relationship Andy's relationship with the warden um, he thinks that if he tells the warden, the warden's going to maybe help uh, dig into this further and clear his name. And uh, the warden's not going to do that Why? <laughs> because the warden's is yep. horrible and crooked. And um, 
Yeah, that's right. The warden is uh, utilizing uh, Andy for his own benefit there in the in the money laundering. And yeah, you this is the this is the first time and uh, within the prison that they've talked about Andy's um, you know guilt or innocence the the crime he was had supposedly committed and. Yeah, everyone's it's starting to realize that, you know, Andy really was innocent this whole time. But, you know, Andy never complained. He never, you know, acted like he needed to be, you know, getting out of there. He was, you know, just just kind of moving through this existence. And you get a really kind of neat scene uh, between Andy and and Red saying, well, I didn't you know, I didn't kill my wife and and that guy. But, you know, I was. I was very, you know, isolated and very withdrawn and things. And that's what, you know, forced her into that position in the first place. So, you know, maybe I'm not completely without guilt here. Maybe that's why I was sent here to um, atone for, for those mistakes. And um, I think that that really is kind of the, the crux of, of the story um, and why people can, uh, why the story resonates with people so well is that everyone kind of has some of Andy Dufresne, um, in them, right. Whether, you know, whether you've, you know, done something, something horrible or not, but there are things that you feel, you know, regretful and remorseful about, and you can kind of see the story of atonement as Andy Dufresne is, uh, kind of an, any man in that sense. Um, and that you can, you know, really kind of place yourself, um, in him and into that mindset and, and what that means to, you know, really, you know, uh, make amends and, and be regretful and, you know, uh, make atonements and, and stuff like that. So I think that that's part, um, at least the way that I see it as to why this uh, story is uh, resonates with so many people. And uh, it does, a, it does a really beautiful job of sort of um, encapsulating that uh, within Andy, especially in that kind of last section there, uh, like you said, Michaela, where uh, he's basically cooking the books uh, for the, the warden, warden Norton, uh, you know, to, to be laundering all of this money. But uh, luckily for us, Andy is a man with a plan. Uh, he had that plan way back, you know, kind of at, the at the beginning of the story uh we didn't know what his plan was uh he told he told red it was it wasn't a plan at all uh he you think that this is going to be funny when you see this tiny little hammer uh that i'm going to have <laughs> red get for me um uh, but it's it's a beautiful sort of little um kind of like inside joke when the warden takes andy's bible and says that you know what's inside of this bible will set you free and then we find out later that he had something hidden in that bible all the time Little, all the time little, little tiniest tiniest rock hammer that's right i mean it is kind of funny uh i mean he's been in the prison maybe two months now right so he's t andy is just getting red you know learning uh and getting to know red and red is like dude are you kidding me like i'm not getting you a hammer <laughs> you first you'll use it as a weapon that's what they immediately think right and yep. he's like no i i just like rocks <laughs> I just like rocks and I want to, I want to make like a chess set. And he does all these things, which is also speaks to, you know, when you have uh, nothing but time and you're in a cell, what, what, what productivity can be done. Right. And what, what you can do um, because all around Andy's room are carvings made out of different rocks and this chess set that he makes and um, a giant picture of Rita Haywood, um, and then Raquel Welch, I mean, he's, he's got a thing for the ladies, uh, and he puts these giant posters up. Um, but really what he's been doing for this 18, 19 year, uh, staunch in prison is trying to figure out a way out. And he's using that little rock hammer to, uh, carve himself a giant tunnel, uh, mm -hmm. in, in the bedrock or in the, I'm, I'm not even sure if, because it's a very, I mean, it's a very like archaic looking prison. It's not like, you know, some of the stuff that we see now. I mean, it's, and as you said, it's a real place. So I, I don't know what that rock is supposed to be made out of, but apparently it's pretty soft. Um, but this, this little tiny hammer is even smaller 20 years later because it's been worn down to, you know, a nub. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love uh, Red, you know, kind of says at the beginning and then he uh, rehashes it there when we find out that Andy has been, uh, you know, constructing this tunnel the whole time. He said that, you know, it'd take someone about a thousand years with that with that hammer. But he was wrong. It only it only took Andy Dufresne about 18 um, years to do it, uh, which is which is pretty amazing. And I, I really like kind of the aspect of that, like like I mentioned kind of at the top, this isn't really a story about you know, being in prison and the brutality of that and what that actually means. And this isn't really a story about Andy's, you know, attempted escape. Like we don't see him 
working on this at all um we're you know kind of revealed to this on the same time as the warden and it's really great they call kind of roll call in the morning and you know one of the prison guards is out there and he doesn't come out of his cell um they go up and they look and he's just vanished into thin air and you know ultimately uh warden norton starts throwing these rocks and one goes uh right through the uh the poster there and they see the see the tunnel and then it kind of gives you a little bit of a of a flashback of him crawling through this tunnel and uh getting into the sewer pipe and uh crawling through a half mile of raw sewage to get out to the river and free himself um and you know andy to much of his credit has also uh you know taken the opportunity here with all of the wonder laundering uh for uh, doing that for the warden he's created a a fake identity um which he's going to use to get that money and then send all of the the stuff into the newspapers so he ultimately gets kind of the the last laugh when everyone is he's you know been wrongfully imprisoned this whole time and is doing uh you know kind of this illegal work uh, for the warden um, is able to able to set himself free by uh, keeping his his mind busy and and not being bitter right it would have been very easy for Andy Dufresne to sit there and bemoan the fact that he's in there wrongfully but you know he really used this as an opportunity to kind of examine himself and examine his relationships and uh, you know work on work on howing to to free himself from this place yeah no com- I, I completely agree and I think you know, the again, this speaks to the amazingness of how this film was put together and directed and, you know, all the reasons why it was nominated for the seven Academy Awards, because the way in which this part of this end part of the film goes down, you, you really almost think that Andy is going to maybe end his own life um, because he's asked the warden for help. The warden has refused to help him and basically put him in a very, very small space they call it the hole um it's a very small uh lightless the darkness filled uh place with a toilet and that's where he is for a month um while he uh you know has this tommy williams character killed um so tommy's never going to be able to testify um and help uh even if even if they got you know word out to some sort of attorney you know hit you know andy's fate is sealed he's not going to ever leave that prison especially when he's this useful um but they also you know leave him in this hole for a month they let him out let him know hey that guy's dead um you're going to spend another month in here to think about it a little bit more just um really showing the evil behind the warden and um all of these guards that have been just using him right so you really think that he's at the end of his rope and there's a really beautiful scene where he sees red uh, for the last time. You realize it's the last time. And he says, Hey, you know, at some point I'm, I'm, you know, you're going to get released red. And when you are, I want you to go to this town and I want you to look um, at this ledge, uh, this kind of ledge of rocks. Um, And there's going to be a rock that doesn't make, that doesn't, look like any of the others and i want you to look for that rock and there's i've left something for you there and he's like what are you talking about did you you know and at first we're thinking that it's something like maybe a picture of his wife or at least that's what i thought when i was watching this the first Mm -hmm. time i was like maybe this is um some money uh you know or um I don't, I don't know something that's personal um, that that might be helpful to Red once he gets out and is released, um, but you don't really know. And so, of course, Red is telling everyone, "Hey, we got to look out for Andy. He's not okay. He's he's not doing well. He's filled with a lot of not not a lot of hope." Um, and someone has says, "Hey, he just asked me for a six foot long rope." So they totally think that he's going to hang himself in a cell. So when they do that roll call, you're like. Oh God, is he dead? Right. And then, and then they're like, Oh, he's not in there. Like there's no, there's no one in there. And, um, and so we really just the way this storytelling it, it, this, this is one of the best, uh, storytelling kind of adventure, uh, adventures in film that I remember seeing. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk a lot about its legacy that it leaves, but that's one of the reasons why there's so many bits that happen in this film that wraps up to tell this really varied and and uh, beautiful story and tragic story of friendship and loss and um hope and you know uh, regret and it's it's just so well done and the way in which that friendship between Andy and Red continues um even through even and where one of them 
escapes the symbolism, but one of them escapes and one of them finally is set free. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're really good friends, but Andy not once to asks red to go with him or anything like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, you kind of get the closing there. Red is uh, finally uh, released um, on parole. Uh, You know, after several attempts trying, he finally gets to this last attempt and is, you know, basically tells them, I don't, I don't care if you release me or not, because you know it doesn't matter. And I guess that was uh, enough for the prison board to realize that Red had been uh, broken. And you see Red kind of going through, you know, the same steps as as Brooks, really lamenting um, his time on the outside, really thinking of ways that he could, you know, <laughs> go back to prison, uh, basically. And uh, he's kind of in the same room there where uh, where Brooks had taken uh, his own life, and you see kind of that going through but uh luckily red gets a postcard from andy that you know lets him know that he has escaped he has made it to mexico and you know he remembers that uh promise to go check under that tree and he does and you know eventually makes his way uh down to mexico as well and you know that's kind of where the movie ends where they're uh, reunited there on the beach uh overlooking overlooking the ocean so uh that's kind of how the story uh winds up like i said there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we you know kind of kind of skimmed over but but in a way, Michaela, like I said, this is this is a movie that covers a lot of ground, but um, kind of in a way, there's not really like a ton of stuff that happens because like it's it's really more kind of a like like an intentional um, kind of look inside of the character of Andy and Red and um, kind of what that means. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the legacy of this thing. We'd mentioned that it was nominated for seven Academy Awards, um, which uh you'd said you thought was a big deal. I didn't think that that was actually that big of a deal. Not very many people went and saw this when it was out in the theater. So when it was nominated for seven Academy Awards, that was kind of the surprise. Uh, Forrest Gump came out this year and that was going to win all of those awards, of course. Um, so I, people really were, I, I think people were more taken aback that there was this other movie out there that was worthy of seven Academy Awards that no one had seen. So then it actually got re-released into the theater and ended up making some money. But where this thing really kind of found steam and why I think that this is, or at least one of the big reasons why I think this is, you know, so well beloved by people and one of everyone's favorite movies um, in 19, I think it was 98, uh, Turner Network Television, Turner Broadcasting, uh, purchased Castle Rocket entertainment uh it, who was the the movie studio that uh, did this film and then uh this movie was on tnt every sunday for years years and years and years it was on tv all the time oh well i learned something new every day actually i was looking into castle rock because i was wondering uh if stephen king had anything to do with the production of it because it's they they castle rock did all of the castle <laughs> anything dealing with uh castle rock which was most of stephen king's books right um mm-hmm. so that that's interesting i didn't grow up with tv so i didn't know that that's that that would be a big reason um why it would have this groundswell of folks that have watched it perhaps um it's interesting because we're going to talk about this a lot this month because we're gearing up for oscar season and um there's a lot of films that you know, and a lot of decisions that are made in time that maybe made sense or totally didn't make sense. I, I think looking back on this, I mean, yeah, everybody knew that Forrest Gump was going to win um, all of these things. But mm-hmm. um, what I will say that when I ask people what their favorite film is, very, very rarely, I don't think I've, I've been, uh, I don't think I've ever heard Forrest Gump. Um, I think people can say that it's a great film. Um, and it's it's not fair to compare these two things, um, which, of course, the Oscars tries to do. But I do think it's really interesting that a film that got a lot of nods, but no no cigar <laughs> um, yep. is still, you know, uh, wreaking havoc on people's hearts and minds uh, in a in a, you know, for the positive um, after experiencing watching watching the film um, yeah. that is Shawshank Redemption. I, I think. It's, well, yeah. it's, it's an interesting, it's just an interesting play that it didn't win any of those things. And it seems, um, and yet it's, a, it's such a, it's such a great example of a film that nevertheless uh, continues to inspire even years and years. Yeah, I, there's, there's something very, very special about this movie and kind of rewatching it. I mean, you take, you take a step back and you're kind of looking at it critically and it's, it's, it's basically without flaw. I mean, it's, um, you know, the acting is all spectacular. The, 
the writing, the dialogue is all spectacular. The way that it looks, the cinematography and the way that it captures this place of the prison and, um, you know, the different lighting and, you know, the way that it's framing its shots are all are all really good. But you could say that same thing about about a lot of movies. So it's it's interesting that this became so well beloved and is so, you know, you know like you said it, it's it's encapsulated kind of the hearts and minds of you know at least a whole generation of people and like i said i think that for me the reason that i i can see it you know kind of in in that in that light how i can understand people to do that is because like i said andy dufresne is a character that anyone could be you look at something you know let's just take that same year for example forrest gump forrest gump was a character we were watching forrest gump but in watching andy dufresne we could have been watching you know ourselves a loved one. Yeah. We could have been watch- we could have been watching anyone uh, be Andy Dufresne, and I think that's why it resonated so so well with people. And then you yeah. know, just to, just to top it off, you know, all of kind of the you know the the technical aspects of the film were you know by all accounts pretty perfect. So yeah, absolutely. I I don't know. I mean, I've so how many times have you seen this? Are you are you someone who watches this yearly? Is this on your you know in your uh, regular no, kind of review? I, I actually, I don't, I don't watch it very often. And this came out in uh, 1994. So, um, you know, it would have only been you know, 12, 13 years old when this came out. So it would have been a little bit too young. This is rated R. There's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, language and some other stuff going on. So, uh, so not, not the best for, uh, for kids for sure. But uh, so I probably wouldn't have seen this until it hit, you know, the, that, that weekend, that Sunday matinee. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, legitimately like this had to have been on like two Sundays a month. So um, it just came into kind of rotation then. So, I mean, I've, I've seen it a handful of times, but it's not something that I go back and, and rewatch all the time, but, you know, kind of, you know, we talked about it in the lobby bar this week, you know, going back and seeing something like uh, Goodwill hunting, uh, going back to this, you know, it's just been uh, nice to go back and you don't, I mean, you don't forget how brilliant Shawshank Redemption is but you know it's it's good to go back and and revisit stuff like this from time to time for sure yeah no I I think that is one of the things and when we compare this to other made uh films that were made from Stephen King novels you know the Green Mile um like we talked about Stand By Me already I mean there's a few out there um this is a shining the shining I feel like this did a really good job of explaining the terrors of prison and all of the negativity around it without it being over the top. I mean, it's not for kids. Uh, (laughs) This is not a film for children, but I do think that it's not the violence in it is not so egregious that it, um, that it steals from um, the overall point of the film either. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really liked that. Uh, part of it because I feel that sometimes we look at when and now when we see a prison drama it is all about all the horrible things that happen which may or may not be real and true and that's fine but I I really liked how this danced around that a little bit better um, so where mm-hmm. you totally got the point across and and in fact you didn't need a lot of extra gregarious violence because it was pretty awful um, showing you ex- the what it, what it did show you right right um, so I've only seen this film a couple of times. Um, I uh, was like you. I I was too young for for uh, when it came out to watch it in the theaters, and I didn't have television, so I missed it on Sundays <laughs> on TNT. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when I saw it, but I do remember being in college, um, which would have been the early 2000s, and everybody was talking about how this is just a film that everyone has to see. Um, you know, back at the time, uh, when people would ask me what my favorite film is, I would say Braveheart cause, um, I just, I would, and people would be shocked and say, well, if you're a film buff, why, why is it, it why is it, it not Shawshank <laughs> why Redemption? Why is it not Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I just haven't seen that. Um, cause I missed the boat on that somehow. And so, um, Uh, I've rectified it. I've watched it a few times. It definitely isn't in my regular rotation because it is such a sombering kind of tone. And now Mm -hmm. I have kids. So unless we're, unless it's bubble guppies, it's not on, it's not on my playlist for 24 hours a day. So um, yeah, I I do think that um, it's, it is a really special film for so many reasons. And again, we're, we're, you know, we don't have two hours or five hours to talk about all the reasons why, but um, there is definitely a people that are in our age group, I think, um, found this 
incredibly uh, well-made film as some sort of, uh, I don't know, it, it really speaks to this generation of folks when, you know, and and it's amazing how it's, it, and it's still a pretty perfect film to watch today. It ages beautifully. Um, it's really well done. So well done. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let us know at home if you uh, watch uh, Shawshank Redemption on the uh, regular or when you saw it the first time and what you, kind of your thoughts are about the movie. And if you make a Coast of Dufresne, uh, let us know and take pictures. We want to know all that stuff. And you can send that in on our Instagram, Twitter, and Hive. It's at Drink the Movies and on Facebook.com slash Drink the Movies. Uh, you can get pictures of ours, um, you know, episode recaps, uh, the recipes, all that stuff on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. Uh, uh, make sure you're following us on TikTok. We get uh, some videos posted up there of us doing the lobby bar drinks and some other fun stuff. So that's TikTok at Drink the Movies. And uh, make sure if you would like to support the podcast further, you can go check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Drink the Movies. We've got some bonus episodes. We've got Avatar uh, coming out here in this uh, next week or so. Uh, so take a look over there and see if you'd like to uh, check out any of that bonus content we've got going on. And Michaela, you know, now that we have made it into 2023, uh, you know, we've we've busted out of Shawshank uh prison uh you know we've we're we've made our way to Mexico we've had some different posts <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know, we've we've had we've had nothing nothing but fun, and you know what else would be fun is if people got subscribed to the podcast, right? What's more fun? Yeah, than that? yeah. There's nothing more fun than listening to the two of us talk about movies and cocktails. I can't imagine anything more fun. Um, yeah. And if you all agree, uh, great. Let's. Uh, you can find us, uh, even more of us, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and Good Pods, anywhere where Anchor Podcasts are uh, supported. Um, we do two drops a week generally. That's not on our Patreon. Our Patreon's a whole different thing. Um, if you are like me and don't know uh, anything about this technology, um, look it up because it's not hard to figure out. But if you love Drink the Movies, definitely uh, leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Um, we've got a lot of really cool things planned this year um, in terms of movies and um, special editions on our Patreon site. So we've got a lot going on and we're so excited uh, 2023. This will. This is our um, third New Year's Day to go yeah. over all of the amazingness. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of amazingness, uh, Michaela, we we're covering some classics this month. So next week, make sure you tune in. We're going to be talking about The Sixth Sense. Um, but before before I do that, before we go see Dead People, I need to make like another, I don't know, like three or four of these Coast of Dufresne because they're amazing. Um, and I can't get enough of these now. And I have a whole bottle of Pomplemousse uh, liqueur that I need to need to take care of. <laughs> well, uh, I got a great idea. You grab the pomplemousse. I'll go get a boat and I'll meet you on the coast of wherever they were um, in Mexico, in Juantania. I Juantania, I think that's how you say it. Yeah. All right. Um, and I'll meet you there and we'll see everybody next time on Drink, Drink the, the movies. movies. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever does.